0: why we appreciate you helping direct our thoughts to the glories of God through His Son on the cross. I've already said it one time again, but I'll just go ahead and say it again. That's what it's all about. That's what it's always been about, and it's what it always will be about. That's what our lives are to be about. The good news of Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer. Father, as we open up your word, as we spend some time in your word today, Father, speak to us. I don't have anything worth saying in and of myself. I don't. Father, your word is true, and it is powerful. So, Father, my prayer, our prayer, is that you would simply use me as a vessel communicate the truth that we find in your word, in the Bible, in a way that we can understand it, that your Holy Spirit can use to impress it into our hearts, Father, that we would be different as a result of having studied your word together today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know how Jesus was introduced? When he started his earthly ministry, he was about 30 years old. Pretty much unknown to pretty much everyone except the, the townspeople and, and the community that he lived in. Uh, carpenter's son, uh, born to peasants, uh, not well known. But then the day that his public ministry began, do you know how he was introduced? He was introduced by... John, as we often refer to, John the Baptist, the one who baptized people. John the Baptist, actually the cousin of Jesus. Do you know how John introduced him? He said, Behold the Lamb of God. He introduced Jesus with these words, Behold the Lamb. As we enter into this season leading up to what we refer to as the Easter We want to behold the Lamb. I want us to behold the Lamb. What did John mean when he said, behold the Lamb? What did he mean? Why did he introduce Jesus that way? What did God intend for the people there who heard John? What did God intend for them to understand as Jesus was introduced to them as the Lamb? John wasn't just speaking just to a random group of people. He was speaking to Jews, Jews who had studied the Old Testament scriptures. They would refer to them as just their scriptures. There wasn't a New Testament then. It was just the Old Testament. And that was their Bible, if you will, it was their scriptures. And so they would have had this knowledge in their mind if they had been studying the scriptures that God had given to them. And so it's in that context that John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb. What should have come to their minds? Uh, Maybe we would think about the uh, sacrificial system, especially hearkening back to the Passover in Egypt when a lamb was slain. And then all the sacrifices throughout the centuries, all the instructions in the Torah, in the law, about how they were to sacrifice lambs for the forgiveness of sins. But if there's one passage in particular that I think God wanted their minds and hearts to go to as they heard John say about Jesus, Behold the Lamb. It is Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13 through 53, verse 12. Basically, the chapter of number 53, Isaiah 53, plus the three verses before that, the end of chapter 52. I think if there's one place besides the Passover in Egypt that God wanted the people's minds to go, it was to this passage in Isaiah. So if you will, go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. When Jesus, when John said of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb... I can't help but think that this, of all the scriptures that we have in the Old Testament, that this is the passage that God wanted the people's minds to go as they thought about and wondered about and began to learn about who this Jesus is. And I want our thoughts and minds to go there as well. The word behold is a word that demands our attention. In fact, it's the way that this passage starts out. Behold. It's a word that says, hey, pay attention. Wake up. This is important. You need to know what I'm about to say. Behold. It's a word that demands our attention. And Jesus demands our attention. But what is it about this, this, this lamb that John referred to? What's so special about a lamb? There's nothing powerful about a lamb. A lamb is just supposed to go where the master or the shepherd tells him to go. A lamb, in fact, seems weak. But this lamb is different. This lamb, this man called Jesus, is the suffering servant and exalted king prophesied about in this passage in the book of Isaiah. Now Isaiah is a prophet of God. He's ministering around the years 739 to 686 B.C. His ministry spanned the reign of four kings there in Jerusalem. King Uzziah, King Jotham, King Ahaz, and King Hezekiah. This is the time leading up to the exile when the people of Israel continue to rebel against God King after king after king walked away from the Lord. And eventually, after Isaiah, uh, the kingdom was overrun. And so the book of Isaiah is full of prophecy about coming judgment, but it's also full of prophecy about good news, about God's salvation and his rescue of his people. In fact, this passage is particularly, or this book is particularly so important And as we we consider God's plan of salvation, the New Testament writers directly quote the book of Isaiah 65 times. That's not even counting all just the allusions to the book of Isaiah, but 65 direct quotations in the New Testament. So if you're reading the New Testament, you're going to be reading a lot of Isaiah. I think it's important that we understand this book. Now, in this book, there are what's often referred to as Four songs, or four servant songs. And we're going to be looking at the fourth of those four servant songs. And it begins in chapter 52, verse 13, and goes through the end of chapter 53. If you just want to scan your eyes through that passage, you'll notice there that it's, a, it's written in a prophetic poetry type language. And, and there are five stanzas in this, in this song or, or poem, if you will five stanzas. Each stanza has three verses in it. And so that's how we're going to work through starting today and going for the next several weeks. We're going to work our way through this song, taking three verses at a time. Basically, if you think about one verse of the song at a time, that's how we're going to go through one verse at a time. Uh, But remember, one verse of this song is actually three verses here. So verses 13 through 15 is where we will be today. And as we begin walking through this psalm today, we will see that Stanza number one, chapter 52, verse 13 through 53, speaks to us of the wisdom displaying servant. The wisdom displaying servant. I want to read verses 13 through 15. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. This is the word of God. So much packed into just this first stanza of this song, these first three If you want a summary statement of what we're going to be seeing in these three verses today, here it is. Jesus fits the picture of the exalted servant who wisely rose to the highest throne through great suffering. Jesus, that one that John introduced as behold the lamb, he fits the picture here in these three verses of the exalted servant who rose to the highest throne through his suffering. The wisdom displaying servant. Now, these three verses actually serve as a summary of this entire passage. You could take these three verses and see how the rest of all of chapter 53 is more detailed, goes into more detail on these three verses. So we're kind of going to get a summary of all of chapter 53 here in these three verses at the end of chapter 52. Now, this word, behold... As someone was be reading this, it would, it would call their attention say, Hey, this is important. Why is what Isaiah is fixing to prophesy important? Well, in chapter 52 of Isaiah, there's the promise of deliverance. Notice at the beginning of chapter 52. He's been talking about judgment. He's talking about things going on here um, with Israel. And he says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you, the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Here you go. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Chapter 2 is prophesying a deliverance. There's going to be a deliverance of the people of God. From captivity. And so then the question would be in our minds, would be in the minds of Israel, who is going to be the deliverer? If there is a deliverance, there must be a deliverer. And so then when we get to verse 13, Isaiah says, Behold, he's getting ready to tell us who this deliverer is, and he calls him my servant. God says, My servant shall act wisely. My servant shall act wisely. What does it mean that the servant would act wisely? Well, this wisdom and this acting out of wisdom makes us think about being successful in what you set out to do. My servant shall act wisely. He shall be successful in what he sets out to do. If you'll flip to chapter 53, verse 10, chapter 53, verse 10, this. This song, if you will, ends the same way that it begins. This servant, it says, right towards the end of verse 10, it says, He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That acting wisely could be uh, referred to as prospering. What he sets out to do, he will accomplish. And then if you go to verse 11, by his knowledge, it says, shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous. So this acting out of wisdom, this prospering of what he sets out to do, this, this knowledge of what to do and how to do it is all describing this servant. He shall act wisely. You could say it this way. For the servant to act wisely means that he will execute the right means to accomplish the right end in the right way for the right reason. Let's say that one more time and then we'll come back to it at the end. This servant, in order to act wisely, that means that he's going to execute the right means to accomplish the right end in the right way for the right reason. Now, that's a pretty tall order. Who can do that? Who can do all of that perfectly? Well, none other than God. Let me give you three things we learn about this wisdom of who we know to be Jesus. It's so, a spoiler alert. We could just... Walk through all of this and say, I wonder who this is. I wonder who this is. I wonder who this is. And then come Easter Sunday, say, it's Jesus. But we know who it is. It's so obvious who it is. So we'll go ahead and give you the end of the story. We are talking in this passage about Jesus. He is the fulfillment. He is the servant. Number one, the wisdom of Jesus was displayed through his divine exaltation. It is displayed through his divine exaltation. Notice the rest of verse 13. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. This is a threefold declaration of the exaltation of the servant. High and lifted up and exalted. Those words, uh, high and lifted up, are always used in Isaiah to refer to God. They're always used to refer to God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Who was sitting on the throne? The Lord high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. And just in case we're not quite sure who this Lord is, is this Lord really God? The rest of that passage in uh, Isaiah chapter 6 goes on to say that the seraphim are around Him saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. That is obviously God on the throne, high and lifted up. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 10. Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up now I will be exalted. In Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. This is talking about God. This servant is God. And that's important to realize that the servant is God because as we continue through um, in the coming weeks, chapter 53, we'll realize that this servant was also human. But as we study his humanity, we must not lose sight that this is not just any ordinary human. This is the high and lifted up one. This is God. And whatever happens to the servant throughout chapter 53, some horrible things happen to him. We must remember that we already know the end. He is high and lifted up. He is exalted. Secondly, the wisdom of Jesus, this servant, Jesus, is displayed through his intense suffering. Verse 13, we start out, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. And then, just out of nowhere, we get to verse 14 and it says, as many as were astonished at you. And we think, oh, yeah, everyone's astonished at how awesome and how magnificent and how glorious he must be if he is exalted and he is high and lifted up. But notice what they're exalted at. Excuse me, they're astonished at. They're astonished that his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Whoa. This, this, this song just started out on this glorious note. And all of a sudden it's like we just did a 180 and we're, we were, we were headed, headed to the glories of heaven and now we're just in the midst of destruction. Just one verse later. They're astonished at the servant because he's so marred. Another way to say that is he is disfigured. So much so that he's not even able to be recognized as a human. Like to look at him and go... That's not even what a human is supposed to look like. He has become so marred and mangled and disfigured. What in the world is happening? I thought that he was going to act wisely. I thought that he was going to execute this perfect plan. That he was going to do the right thing in the right way to accomplish the right ends for the right reason. And now here is the servant who's supposed to be high and lifted up, and he is marred beyond recognition. Psalm chapter 22, verse 6 says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Jesus was a human. He was a man. But at some point in his life, the prophet Isaiah says this servant is not even going to look like a human because he's going to be so marred. And mangled and disfigured. Psalm chapter 22, verse 16 through 18. We cannot help but think about the cross as we read Psalm 22. These three verses. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots Who is this talking about? It's talking about Jesus. What event is it talking about? It's talking about the cross. Notice Matthew chapter 27 beginning in verse 26. Then he, Pilate, released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. To be scourged. Left that human, that body mangled. Torn. Flesh hanging Bloody, marred behind human semblance. It goes on and says, And the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. Don't you think as that crown of thorns pierced the brow of Jesus, it just began to mangle his face. So that when it was all said and done, didn't even look like a human is supposed to look like. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. You see, it's the mockery of the exaltation of, of this one who had claimed to be God now, certainly this isn't God. look at him. look at him beaten and bruised, battered and torn, like a little helpless lamb that can do nothing to defend himself. Where's the wisdom in that? How is this acting wisely? It doesn't seem like prosperous A prosperous plan it seems like a failing plan this is the one who is the deliverer i don't think so hail king of the jews yeah right and that's what the world says it said it then and even now the world looks to the cross and the cross seems to be something of shame and in one sense it is how could this be no way this is the, the deliverer. No way this is the promised king who will save and conquer. No way is this servant acting wisely. No way is he going to be successful. No way is he going to bring about prosperity. But it is. It is divine wisdom. It would bring about a successful rescue of the people. It would deliver people from their greatest enemy. And it would result in eternal prospering for the people of God, this human, marred beyond human semblance, would bring about all of this, would bring about salvation. One writer said it this way, no greater prosperity ever accrued from any act than from the giving up of that life in His voluntary and atoning sacrifice. In the wisdom of God, Jesus suffered. It was all a part of the plan. He suffered, but as quickly as verse 13 turned into destruction in verse 14, verse 14 turns back into exaltation and supremacy and power in verse 15. He suffered, but he didn't keep suffering. They were astonished by his intense suffering, but then we are awed by his world domination. Number three, the wisdom of Jesus was also displayed through his world domination and continues to be displayed and will be displayed one day through his world domination. Now, don't hear the word domination and think like evil dictator. I know sometimes when we think about the word domination, it has some, some not happy undertones to it, right? Like somebody comes in and he's, he's evil and he's just kind of controlling everything and nobody likes him. He's just domineering over everyone. Don't forget verse 14. This one in verse 15 who has, has power over all is the one in verse 14 who died for all. So this is, a, this is a world domination by a king who loves his people deeply. Verse 15. So shall he sprinkle many nations Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. This is an interesting verse. A little confusing maybe, but we want to look at it and see what we can learn about this servant who is the Lamb, who is Jesus. This word sprinkle, so shall he sprinkle many nations. It's an interesting word in the Hebrew be translated two different ways. It could be translated sprinkle, or it could be translated startle. And people are divided over exactly how this word is supposed to be translated. Let's think about both of them for a moment. If it's the word sprinkle, what does it mean that he shall sprinkle many nations? Well, that word sprinkle takes us back to the priestly rituals, where they would sprinkle blood, or sometimes sprinkle oil, or sometimes even sprinkle water. Most of the time it was blood that they were sprinkling. It was a sign that what they were sprinkling was being purified. Being purified. They of atonement sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. A symbol of sin being washed away. Sin being purified. People being purified of their sin. So shall he sprinkle. He will have this priestly duty of bringing about purification. He will accomplish salvation through his suffering. And that would take that if we kind of connect that back to verse 14. But if we take that beginning of verse 15 and put it with the rest of verse 15, kings shall shut their mouths because of him. We have this idea of domination, and that's where we could translate it, the word startle. What would it mean then if it says that he shall startle many nations and kings shall shut their mouths because of him? It would be kind of like when the commanding officer walks into a room and you're like this. And the commanding officer walks in and you just stay like this, right? No, you're startled to attention. There he is, right? That, that's, that, that's that idea here. The startling, this, uh-oh, the one who is in charge is, is in the room. He's here. Either way we translate it, both of, these, uh, both of these translations would apply to Jesus. He is the one who purifies the nations through his blood. and He's also the one Who commands attention. He is both Savior and Lord. He saves and He reigns. I want you to notice quickly just four things about His dominion. I'm going to say these fairly quickly. Four things about His dominion. Notice the scope of His dominion. The scope of His dominion. The nations. The nations. Worldwide. Worldwide domination. Worldwide kingship. He is the worldwide ruler of all. There's no one or nothing outside His power and His majesty and His rule. We see this other places in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 2. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 2. Speaking about the servant, this is the first of those servant songs. It says that He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And then Isaiah chapter 49 Verse six, probably one of my favorite. I know I say this all the time, but i am saying it again. Probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, Isaiah chapter 49, verse six, another one of the servant songs in Isaiah. He says it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. In other words, that's too that's too easy. That's too small a thing just to rescue Israel. He goes on and says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is the scope of his dominion. All nations worldwide. And then we could flip over to Isaiah chapter 66. The very end of Isaiah, we find these beautiful words. For I know their works and their thoughts. And the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and shall see my glory. And I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations. To Tarshish, Pool, and Lud, Who draw the bow to Tubal and Javan. To the coastlands far away. This is a missionary enterprise. That have not heard my fame. The people that have not heard it. Or have seen my glory. They haven't seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations. As an offering to the Lord. Worshippers around the throne of God. From every nation, tribe, and language. Just the scope of His dominion. But also notice the supremacy of His dominion. The supremacy of his dominion. Who is it that are startled to attention? Who is silenced in his presence? The kings. Does that mean just the kings and no one else? No. But if the kings are silenced in his presence, you better believe that everyone else is silenced in his presence. The kings. He is higher than the high, he's mightier than the mightiest. Oftentimes, in, in, in this day and time when this was written, the kings were seen as very wise individuals. You think about Solomon, right? People would go to the kings to say, How do I settle this dispute? or What should I do about this? The kings were seen as having wisdom. But the wise ones of the earth, the kings of the earth, are astounded by the wisdom of this servant, of this Lamb, of Jesus. They shall shut their mouths because of him. While they're they're saying all these things that they think are wise and showing off their knowledge, in walks Jesus, and everything is quiet. Because here's the King of Kings. Here is the Lord of Lords. Supremacy of His dominion, uh, scope of His dominion, the supremacy of His dominion, but also, third, the power of His dominion. They shut their mouths. There's this ultimate respect, this standing in awe of who He is. We go back to Isaiah chapter 49, verse 7. It says that kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. So it's not just that the kings go, oh, this is an interesting person. It's that the kings are humbled. It's that they bow in the presence. They stop talking and they... Worship. Power of his dominion. But also notice the effectiveness of his dominion. The effectiveness. It says that for that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. A few minutes ago, I took us back to Isaiah chapter 6 beautiful passage where Isaiah has this vision, of the Lord seated on the throne, high and with it up, the train the drove, fills the temple. The seraphim are there and they're shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And Isaiah is convicted of his sin. He says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people who are unclean. And then the angel comes and takes the coal from the altar and touches Isaiah's lips and, 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 symbolically purifies him of his sinfulness. And then God says, who's going to go? Who's going to tell this good news message? And Isaiah says, hey, here am I, God, send me. Why would I not go and share this good news? You have just purified me graciously. I didn't deserve it. So I will go and share this good news. But notice then what happens in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. After Isaiah says, here am I, send me. I'll go and tell Everyone, your good news? And he said, Go, God says, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their ears and hear with their ears. Excuse me, don't see with your ears. See with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. You say, well, that's kind of rude. God says, here's some good news, go and tell them. But by the way, tell them that they're not, they're not going to be able to hear and understand. What's well, the prophecy? That the ones that God originally sent the message to, the Jews, were going to reject it. Now, not only were they going to reject the message, they were going to reject the servant. They were going to hang him on a cross. And so this good news message has been rejected. It's been rejected. It's been rejected. But all of a sudden, now we get to Isaiah 53 and it says that somebody is seeing and somebody is understanding. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who is seeing? Who is understanding? It is the nations. It is the kings of the earth. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. They haven't heard the message yet, but there's this prophecy that they're going to hear it. And they're going to believe. They're going to understand who this Jesus is, who this servant is, why he came, and they're going to believe in him. I love Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. If you'll allow me to go there for just a moment. We know this passage from Christmas time. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For two as a child is born, and two as a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. But that's starting in verse 6. Let's go back and start in verse 1 of chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. These are tribes of Israel. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The people who haven't heard, all of a sudden they're hearing and they're believing, they're understanding. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Here is what Isaiah is saying in chapter 52, verse 15. The nations are going to hear this good news. Back up to chapter 52, verse 7. How beautiful, uh, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Remember chapter 52 about a deliverer coming. It's good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who go and share the good news. But who is this good news going to go to? All the nations. And what are the nations going to do? Many Many people from every nation will hear a message they'd never heard before. They will perceive it. And they will understand it. And if we could skip ahead to the first verse of next week for just a moment. They will believe it. They will believe this message. In fact, Paul picks up Chapter 52, verse 15 in the book of Romans. This is so, just so cool. This is just the, the God's word just all coming together. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 15. So here, now, we're, we were in Isaiah about five, about uh, 700 years before Jesus comes. Now we're jumping to Romans. Paul, missionary Paul, he's been saved. He was Saul, now he's Paul. He's going on these missionary journeys. He's writing this letter to Rome. He's already been on his three missionary journeys. In fact, he's he's finishing up his third missionary journey. He's helped uh, helped lead people to Christ and start churches all throughout Asia and um, and Macedonia and uh, Greece. And um, and then he's writing this letter to Rome. And here's what he says: Romans chapter 15, verse. Uh, let's start in verse. Uh, the end of verse. Uh, golly, I don't know where to start because it's all good. You ever have that problem? You just keep looking at the verse before the verse before, and it's just all good. You just want to read it all. Um, we'll have time to do that. Uh, verse um, sorry, verse 18, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles, that's the nations, to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem, now he's recounting what he's done so far, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Verse 20, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel and not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul's specific calling on his life was to take the gospel to people who had never heard. It wasn't to be a pastor of a church. That wasn't Paul's calling. That was the calling of some people, but not Paul. Paul's calling was to take the gospel to those who have never heard. Right? Exactly what Isaiah was talking about in chapter 52, verse 15. But then look at what Paul does next. He quotes Isaiah chapter 52 verse 15. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. Do you see what Paul is doing? He's taking Isaiah and he is applying it to his context and to him and saying, I know that the nations will believe it's going to be as I go and as others go with this good news. Our our feet are beautiful, right? We're declaring a good news message that Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 52 And it's going to go to the nations, and I'm a part of that right now. God is fulfilling this prophecy right now. He's continuing to do so today as people who know the gospel, who believe the gospel, who are trusting in the divine wisdom of this servant, that his suffering brings life, are going and taking this message to the nations. God is fulfilling this right now. If you can't get excited about that, check your pulse. All right, I don't know what's going on, but that is just amazing. By God's grace, He opens our eyes. Right? If it weren't for His grace, my eyes would be shut, my ears would be shut, and my heart would be shut, and it would be shut off to all that is good about Jesus. But God comes in. He draws me through the Holy Spirit. He opens our eyes and ears and minds to understand the truth about Jesus, that He is the highly exalted King of kings who suffered for His people, but rose victorious. Right? That's what verse 15 implies. Verse 15 implies that the one who suffered in verse 14 didn't continue to suffer. And as we walk through chapter 53, we'll see that He didn't just suffer, He actually died. But He didn't stay dead. He rose up from the grave so that He can be the highly exalted servant Lamb of God. This is the wisdom of God. We find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the word of the cross is folly, foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the wise one? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So for the person that says the cross, yeah, right. How could, how could the one who in verse 14 is marred beyond human semblance why would I give my life to him? How could he ever do anything to help me? How can he rescue me from my sin? Paul says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Here you go. Verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly, foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, that means anyone in all the world. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Shut your mouths, all you kings of the earth who think you know better. The wisdom of God reigns supreme. This is the wisdom of God. Jesus executed the right means to accomplish the right end in the right way for the right reason. Well, am I trying to confuse you? I'm not trying to confuse you with that statement notice this let's put this insert into that definition of acting wisely exactly what jesus did he suffered death on the cross that's the right means to accomplish salvation that was the right ends the way god had planned that's in the right way all for the glory of god for the right reason jesus He suffered death on a cross to accomplish salvation the way God had planned for the glory of God. This is the wisdom of God, that suffering would lead to glory, that the cross would lead to the empty tomb, and that death would lead to life. This is the wisdom of God. I can't think of a better passage to summarize this than Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's his coming to this earth. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That's the marring that we learned about in verse 14 to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then verse 15 of chapter 52 in Isaiah here in Philippians. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the wisdom of God. Question. Have you submitted your life to Jesus? This wisdom displaying servant. Or are you trying to do things out of your own wisdom? Are you trying to pay for your own sins? Are you simply trying to deny that you are a sinner? Are you Saying, I'll do it my way, God. Do you think you know better than the servant who acts wisely? No. This is the wise plan of salvation. What will you do with it? Will you trust this servant? Will you trust this Jesus? Jesus fits the picture here in Isaiah of the exalted servant who wisely rose to the highest throne through great suffering. For those of us who have received it, who have believed it, I have to ask this question because this is where Paul takes this passage in Romans. Are you gladly suffering for his sake As you live to declare this wisdom, this good news to others, looking forward to the day when you are lifted up and exalted to live with Christ forever. You see, Jesus said, Jesus said, don't be surprised when you suffer. Because you've seen your master suffer. The servants will be treated like the master is treated so we must remember that suffering for Jesus led to His glory. And suffering for us as Christians in this life as we seek to be obedient to what God has called us to do is not the end. Just as it was not the end for Jesus. In this life, you will have many trials, many tribulations, many troubles. But take heart, Jesus said, for I have overcome the world. So what is it for you? Where are you at in this are you trying to do things your own way, rejecting the wise wisdom, beautiful wisdom, the, the, the successful wisdom of God, His plan of salvation, or have you submitted your life to it? Listen to me. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's no other way. There's no one who has suffered like He has suffered for you. And there's no one who is exalted higher and who has the power and the ability to rescue from your sins like He does. Give your life to Christ today and be rescued from your sins. And if you have, who are you telling? Whatever cost it takes, it's worth it. Let's pray. Father, submit our hearts to Your Word. What a beautiful servant. Behold, My servant. Behold, the Lamb. Behold Jesus. Father, help us to behold Christ in our lives every day. Thank You that Jesus left the glories of heaven, came to be marred beyond human semblance, and then rose, showing that He is the powerful King of kings and Lord of lords. And thank You that He rules, that He has dominion in a way that is good for us if we will submit our lives to Him. Thank You for that, Father. Help it not just to be information in our ears, but help it to be salvation in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.